You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Peer Pleasure with Dewey Halpus on Equal Vision Records and Sound Talent Media. I am Dewey, your host with the most, bringing you more great content week after week. This week, guys, we have a fantastic part two episode with Jeff Rickley from Thursday. One of my favorite guests I've had in the past and still one of my favorite guests, even after the part two. Uh, we had a great chat. We went all over the place with all kinds of different topics, super interesting stuff. Um, as we usually do. And as I told Jeff, it's the first, his episode, the first one we did with him way back was the first time I really thought about not using notes and preparing for these things because, um, he's, he's the one who said, Hey, is that at the end of it? He's like, Hey, is that your notes in that notebook? I said, yeah. And he's like, you didn't even use them. I was like, you know what? You're right. I've never used them. So that was kind of the, the turning point for me on how I do this show. Um, so thanks to Jeff for that, <laughs> even though it wasn't intentional, um, you know, it changed the whole trajectory of the show and now having him back on for part two was a lot of fun. Uh, Thursday's got some stuff going on and, uh, it was just the right time to do it. So thanks to Jeff for coming on again. Um, yeah, it's, it's a good chat. So I'm right now in Idaho Falls, Idaho, uh, with my cousins picking up some new puppies for the kids. And so I drove 10 and a half hours yesterday here. I'm going to do it again tomorrow back home. Uh, but I wanted to get this episode out to you. So I'm in the basement of my cousin's house, the same cousins I used to record the show at back when they lived in Portland. Um, so it's kind of full circle. It's kind of nice. So uh, sorry, it's a little bit late, but we had, you know, I was driving all day yesterday. 
um, and had a bunch of stuff going on when I got here. The cousins wanted to see me. So uh, it's a little bit late, but it's coming out anyway, and hopefully you guys enjoy it. So let's get some business out of the way, and we'll jump right in. PeerPleasurePodcast.com is the website. PeerPleasurePod at gmail.com is the email if you need to get in touch with me. Uh, if you have you know uh, comments, questions, guest ideas, anything like that, shoot them my way. Um, join the Facebook group, Peer Pleasure Podcast Inner Circle. Go to Facebook, type that in, a request to be added to the group, and we'll bring you in. We've got a lot of awesome stuff coming, and you guys will be privy to that information in the Facebook group. Uh, stuff that you can get in the premium. Uh, and the premium is peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. And that you'll have access to the Peer Pleasure Past Cast, which is another podcast I do with other podcasters and fans of the show to talk about a deep dive into their favorite episode of the show, how it happened, what happened since, where it happened, um, and things that came from that. Um, I think it's really interesting to do things like that just because uh, it's nice to be able to see behind the curtain. And it's also nice for me, selfishly, to be able to revisit some of these episodes and reminisce on these memories because it's it's uh, I've done so many. Um, it's nice to recall a lot of them uh, in live time. So uh, you can get that with the premium. You also get the video footage of the episodes and you also get the ad free feed. So you don't have to listen to any of the ads that we have running on here. We've been getting a lot more ads lately, uh, which is good because it supports the show, but also some people can get annoyed by it. So if you want that ad free feed, you can go join the premium at uh, peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm. All right, I've rambled enough. I'm going to get to what you came for. Here's my part two conversation with Jeff Rickley from Thursday. my friend i'm good how are you doing dude i'm great it's been a long time it has yeah <laughs> it's been years at least yeah it has definitely dude how you been i was looking at i was looking at how many episodes you've done of this podcast and you've had such heavy hitters dude it's been a wild ride <laughs> dude, i was like hr jello be for john pettibone i was like this is sick Dude, it just keeps going 200 and sub episodes, man. We've got more in the can and it's just, it's wild to That's see amazing. where it's gone. It started so small and then now it's, I'm at the Equal Vision Records office, which I use as a studio now. 
Nice. It's crazy, dude. Where's I the office? It. It's not the old barn anymore, right? No, no, no. This is this is in Portland. So this is uh, this is in the oh, Pearl right. District, right down like two blocks from the Roseland, where we did this last time. Um, right. That's amazing. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I knew that, but for some reason, I always think of Equal Vision. I think of them letting us sleep in their barn where they used to do <laughs> the uh, warehouse. You know. Yeah, man. I I was talking to Dan about that, how it started in the barn, but they have a yeah, they have a nice building in in Albany there, and. Uh, yeah, they they took over this space from, or excuse me, they took the Rise Records staff. They were going to lay right. off the whole staff. Yeah, and, and everybody. Yeah, yeah, and so they brought in you know Gordner. So like they, yeah. of course you do because I was, was going to show you this. This has been sitting next to me for months now. Seventy four ninety nine on this record, and uh, what? yeah, I don't know where they got it, but it's probably eBay. But it's been sitting on the desk next to me for months. You know why uh, why they had to buy that off eBay, right? It's because there's no, no films. Yeah. So you can find the art anywhere for it. They so. had to scan it in for the, the reissue? That's wild. Yeah, so it's been literally sitting on my... I don't know how many times I've, I've shown it on the show just because somehow Thursday comes up and I was like, oh, wait, check this out. It's sitting right here. <laughs> See, in my wildest dreams, it was HRB. I'm like, yeah, Thursday's sick. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, HR was a, a, a amazing experience, but also very, very uh, different than my normal style. Just sure. because I had to like, just keep spouting off question after question, which I don't do. Because I think so I've talked about this on the show. We're recording now if you if you don't mind, like I just start. Yeah, no, no. I, you know, when I do these kind of things, it's like, nothing's ever off the record. So just yeah, you know. unless you want it to be I can absolutely take it out, which I've only been asked three <laughs> times to that. do, but I absolutely will. Um, but, uh, yeah. So the way that the show has changed to where okay. I do things just kind of more off the cuff, okay. I guess I, I always kind of did that. But when I did it with you, I had my book of notes and you commented at right. the end, you're like, are those your notes? Yeah. You didn't even use them. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like this is the 90th time I've used these that. notes and I don't use them. So from that, that point on. I totally like it's all coming like the whole thing's coming back to me now. <laughs> Your tour manager put a put a Thursday dove on a on a piece of paper. It said podcasting in progress. Oh yeah, that's right. And I totally I posted that online. I was like, this is the most professional band ever. <laughs> was that Carly who did that? I think it was. I yeah. think so. Yeah. It was uh <laughs> it was it was great. But um anyways, I I appreciate you coming back on, you know, David oh, brought it up and I was like, dude, let's do Jeff again. That'd be awesome. Because we've been doing a lot yeah. of part twos lately. Where are they nows? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming still in New York. Yeah. Yeah. Same apartment, I think. Uh, I've been here for a long time now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, same place. Um, yeah. A lot has changed, but a lot has stayed the same. You know, same same uh, apartment, same partner, same, you know, a lot of things in my personal life are the same, but I'm almost, almost four years sober now. So that's, Dude, that's you know, that's fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Dude, when we talked last, I think you said you're like still in the first 90 days. Yeah, that that was the tour that was like Yeah, like am I really doing this? Am I going straight on tour after like, you know, going into treatment and the whole thing and it's like yeah. I guess I am and you know, it was all right. It worked. Dude, yeah, that was wild. I had no idea what we were going to get into on that episode because <laughs> I didn't know anything about that. I was like just shocked like, "Wait, what?" Like <laughs> <laughs> but it was so fresh we couldn't really talk much about it because you know in that first 90 days first year 
You don't I really mean, know. So yeah. many triggers and so many things that can take yeah, you back I mean, down that hole. Totally. And I mean, I was, uh, you know, I was lucky that like, I, I, ha- I, I am, since we talked, I still have never used heroin again or anything like that. But, um, you know, it was, it was Halloween of that year that I really realized like, you gotta be totally sober. You can't drink, you can't anything. And that's when I like, so that's when I started my date, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you were still, you were still drinking or whatever, if you wanted to on that tour. I wasn't drinking if I wanted to, but I was like, had some personal doubts, you know, it's Mm. like, like I could, I could sneak away later that year and be like, I could have a drink. I could, you know, I could, I could go to the head shop and get some like whatever, you know, stupid thing they have at the head shop. Yeah. You know, I was like, that's not, you know, that's not heroin. So I could do it. And at some point it was kind of like, you know what? I just need to, because of the type of person that I'm realizing I am, mm-hmm. like I need to do my best to get to, to where normal people start at, you know? <laughs> that gratitude, man. The Yeah. That's yeah, something I mean, I've been like, struggling with is, is the gratitude piece is trying to, to remember those things to be grateful for. I can go down a hole of depression really quick and totally. I take five minutes and write 10 things down that I'm thankful for. It totally yeah. starts your day different, you know? Yeah. It's wild. I have some, I have some, some friends that do morning gratitude lists mm-hmm. just to keep that kind of thing fresh. And, um, man, it's tough. When I look at my phone, it's like every 10 lists, I have a list and I'm like, I'm doing this thing all the time. And I look and like, everybody's doing it more than me. And it kind of, it's like kind of a wake up call to like stay in that state of gratitude, you know, because yeah, I can, I can let it slip and just focus on the negatives and sure. Well, dude, you look, you look 10 times, don't take this the wrong way, but you look 10 times better than the last time I saw you. Like yeah, you were still kind of, there was this aura about you when I talked to you last where you're still, I knew you were on tour and tired, but like after we talked, I was like, man, I really hope Jeff's okay. Like and pulls through this, like, you know, cause I could tell like something was there. Like it was just like this, this kind of weight on your shoulders. And today you yeah. just look like. What would you say, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I see guys in their first 90 days now, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> you look horrible. And then I'm like, oh, I went on tour when I was still in that state. Like, that's yeah. pretty nuts. <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. And, you, I mean, you get some of the some of the feedback from the crowd and stuff and, like, some – what's the word? Um, uh, it's slipping my mind. Um like the fruits of enjoying the fruits of your labors, right? Like, like, uh, mm-hmm. um, reinforcement that what you're mm-hmm. doing means something on tour. You can get that during the show, but it's the 24 hours other than that, where everything else is kind of up and down. Yeah. It's a weird environment to have that much time to yourself. Yeah. I mean, somebody, I remember early on, somebody said to me when we were like, you know, still supporting when Thursday was still supporting bigger bands and stuff. Um, and not even like much bigger, but like, you know, like, like 300 cap clubs mm-hmm. playing to like a hundred people. And we were still like two of four, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so we were really, and I remember somebody saying like, yeah, man, tour, it's all about the other 23. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And over the, over the years, I was like, oh yeah, it is about the other 23 hours in a day where like, nobody's saying like, good job. Yeah. Even if they don't mean it, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's 23 hours of the impress me bros on the street just arms crossed like what what's your deal man (laughs) uh that see that's funny because that that 23 hour how you how you spend your time there i kind of see it as uh 
like looking at things. So I'm a commercial plumber now. So like for by trade. Oh, so that's amazing. my job, my day job besides the show. And you got um, so like as a foreman, you look at a good foreman, how they deal with the bad days, not how they deal with the good days. What makes a sure. good foreman is how they deal with the bad days um, sure. and the bad situations. Yeah. If we flood out a, a 23 story building, which has happened, uh, how do you handle that? Right. So being a musician on tour, it's how that person is those other 23 hours is what makes yeah. them who they are, not who they are on the stage, but how they spend that time, you know, how they interact with people where they're not the center of attention, I think really shows totally. the character. Oh of my someone. God. Totally. And I think that's why yeah. on tour, you know who you like and who you don't like when you, when you're touring with another band, like you bro down with certain people and some people you don't. And it's yeah. that 23 hours that shows who they are. I think totally, but I mean, man, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think like it's even, even at, even at the show when everything's rolling and you're not on stage, but you're still, there's a certain element of being at a show where you were on display, mm -hmm. you know, people are rolling out press people and fans are asking for autographs and like all of that is like, even then, you know, I'm being watched. I should, there's a slight edge of, I think most social people just know that, right. There's a certain edge of performance in any social interaction. I think that's why so many of us find ourselves not wanting to socially interact. It's, it's, it's not that we don't like people. It's that that sense of performance is wearying for a lot of us. And, um, but the other times, you know, the, the waking up in the morning, trying to find coffee and, uh, loading in gear and talking to the local union stagehands and stuff like that. That is, that is the time that is much more definitive of who people really are. Absolutely. You definitely see behind the curtain in those moments. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I remember there's this sort of like, um, there's this sort of, uh, there's a funny thing that I always think about. It's a Henry Rollins quote that you'll see like taped on the doors of clubs and stuff. It's like, you know, the, the loader shows up and works for 10 hours and, and you show up and you, you know, get on stage and jump around like an idiot for an hour. And, you know, he does the real work and you do that, you know, yada, yada, yada kind mm -hmm. of thing. Right. Like you should be making what he makes and he should be making what you make. And when we were playing a lot of those clubs for years and years and we'd just be like, man, I, I wish I was making what the loaders making today. Cause we we're going <laughs> home with $5 each from this show. And I'm like, it sucks. You know, like we would joke around like, God, imagine being in a union. That'd be sick. Dude. <laughs> there's a company here in town called monkey presents. And, um, they own the wonder ballroom and a bunch of other places. And sure, I yeah. loaded for them in between tours. They like show up at this time for load in. You load in. You can stay for the show for free if you want, or you can come back later and load out. It's the weirdest thing ever. So like, yeah, I got to work for three hours in the afternoon and then two hours at night. Um, but they they were paying cash at the time, and uh, so that Love was a that. sweet deal. But we yeah. had to load a piano, a full piano, into oh. the Wonder Ballroom up the stairs, and then they had someone come in oh, every oh. day and tune it. Like they had the piano tuner on call that would come in in every town and tune. I was like, this is intense. That like, is pretty intense. The production, and that was small production, but like a full piano. There was like six of us in this road case. It was insane. That's no joke, man. That is no joke. seen anything yeah. like it. <laughs> I mean, there there are times, yeah, there are times when, you know, um, I, I we'd be at clubs and, you know, most of the day, just see loaders stand around doing nothing. You think that's a pretty sweet gig. And then the one hour a day when they're really working, they're doing things that it's like, well, that's like borderline, like something goes wrong. You could get killed. Yeah. 
mean like lifting a piano the wrong way up the stairs. It's like, yeah, that's pretty scary. That's a pretty scary job. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And they're, I mean, if, and that's the, the loaders in town, but like the crew that's touring with you, like mm-hmm. they're also sl- sleeping on a bus like this all night. Like they're also like in the same, the same boat, but their job is very, you know, labor intensive and they got to make sure it's right. You know, like mm-hmm. down to the smallest yeah, detail. Had- We've been on tour with bands whose crew members have gotten hurt by lights falling, being rigged improperly, things like that. You know, like we're like serious, serious injuries. And, you know, I've been on a bus when it's hit a horse going 90 miles an hour and, and Holy you know, shit. thrown out of the top bunk and just, you know, covered in horse blood. And so like really thought for like, you know, got out on the side of the road with a bunch of touring personnel thinking like, oh, we all got really hurt. And we just, you know, the adrenaline hasn't worn off yet until we realized it was all horse blood. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? It's Holy like, oh, wait, maybe I'm actually okay. Am I actually okay? Like, is this not my blood? Like, who's what is? Oh, it's the horse we hit's blood. So, like, know? the horse exploded into the, like the windshield, like into the bus. Like, the blood came oh, into the bus. Oh my god! Ripped out all the metal on the side of the bus, like literally back to the bunks almost. Like the bus driver, and this is like, I have to give the bus driver credit. He turned in a way where you know, like a 900 pound horse, if he had hit it on his side, mm-hmm. he'd be dead, right? Yeah. Because it would go right through the windshield and just kill him. So he needed to not, but it was raining because it was, it was a thunderstorm that had scared the horses and they broke the gates and ended up on the highway. That's how they ended up on the highway. But if he had swerved too much, there was an overpass. So he was like doing it and he managed nobody, nobody got killed and he didn't get killed. And it's pretty, pretty crazy, crazy moment. Yeah. I could not even imagine. I've been woken up on tour, like going off the road, but it was always, we got back on the road, like Kansas. This is insane. Yeah. Of course. I mean, going off the road, we've hit deer before and stuff, but like we've hit animals that were so small before that it was like the bus kept going, Mm -hmm. stopped and then examined the grill and stuff and said like, that was a shame. But if I had swerved, we were in traffic, we would have killed, we would have killed a person too, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, you know, traveling as much as we we traveled on tour, it's it's the just the percentage mm-hmm. of you know, it's like even one percent of things going wrong. It's like those of us who stayed on tour for twenty three years have seen some pretty gnarly stuff, you know. Yeah. So it heightens it heightens big time. Yeah, you think of the odds yeah. of getting in an accident just as a normal person going to work or person on the road all the time. Right. Right. Yeah. Truck drivers, long haul truck drivers, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you start to see like yeah, it's. Sometimes it's a great job. Sometimes it's the best job you could have. And then, you know, when the odds start closing in on you, it gets a little scary. Did you make the show that night or the next day for when that happened? We had to get a new bus. Yeah, we all jumped on another bus. It was, it was a, we were on a festival mm. circuit thing. Mm-hmm. So there was another bus behind us and they brought us on. And, um, geez, I think I did play that day. God. <laughs> it was before I was sober though. So I probably had some help playing that yeah, show. <laughs> Oh man, dude, woken out of a sleep by blood and crash. Oh my God. I can't even imagine, dude, the things you you guys have seen. You've had airplane stuff too happen. Haven't you like Australia or something? In Australia, we were on a a flight with a Mars Volta poison the well. And, uh, geez, I think flaming lips were on that flight too. We would change flights a little bit because on Australia, you know, when you're on those big tours, you have to fly to every show because they're so far apart. Yeah. Um, and we were all basically the side stage bands who were closing the side stages. So it was like all in a row. It was like Poison the Well, Mars Volta. I think we were closing one stage. Flaming Lips were closing the stage next to us. So we all ended up on these same, you know, same 
plane. And it was basically, you know, I, I always felt for anybody who wasn't in a band who was on one of those flights. Cause mm-hmm. it was like, what is going on? You know, the circus is <laughs> town. Who are these people? And, uh, and yeah, it just like, it just kind of like, we we're, you know, they were like, ah, you know, we'll be, uh, we'll be, you know, coming in for a landing pretty. And then the, the thing just cut off and went boop and the plane just dropped. You oh know, my just dropped. And we were like, what the hell's going on? And I remember one of the guys in the Mars Volta was just talking about, um, like the last time that they were in the near plane crash, like one of the guys in the band, like zipped up his jacket because he looked outside and they were on like a snowy mountaintop area. Uh-huh. And he was like, dude, you're not going to be walking around outside if we crash, <laughs> you know, and, like zipping up your jacket. And we're, so we were kind of like still scared, but sort of like, it's going to be okay. And then when we got close to the runway, it was like plane was sideways and you could see the wing almost touching the runway. Oh and it was God. just like that at that point, I think like me and the poison the wall guys were like in each other's arms, like uh-huh. each other, no, hold me. <laughs> you know, here it comes. Oh, no. and then it swung and we just slid out off the runway into the grass, but like on, on the wheels, you know what I mean? Like, God. So. And then you played and that remember, night. <laughs> I remember we got off the plane instead of going to the festival, everybody went to the bar and just started drinking heavily. Like, oh just my like, God. No way, no way that didn't just happen. You know? Yeah. Dude, I could. Oh, it's like that. What's the last episode of Seinfeld? I gotta tell you something, and then it <laughs> yeah, levels yeah. out. Oh, never mind. Yeah, at least one of the guys in our band that was, I'm pretty sure that was when he stopped touring because he got off, called his wife, and then was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm He's out. still in the band, he still makes the records with Thursday. Yeah, well, when I say still, you know, we put out a record 10 years ago, was our last year. <laughs> So up to there, you're still still doing, but you know, no longer touring the long haul stuff like that anymore. Yeah, and, and I get you know, um, it's it's not it's not for everybody. It affects everyone differently, man. Do yeah. those events still affect you? Do you think? Like, do you still have like do you still like kind of startle awake sometimes, or like have long term no. issues from those, or is it just I'm kind sure of in the belt? You know, there's so many layers that I'm not never sure which layer is which thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Now, as I'm getting sober, I'm finding more layers to peel back, but I still haven't gotten to like near death experiences. I think I'm still in like what it's done to my personal relationships to be like yeah. a guy that's away 300 year, days a year type uh-huh. stuff. Dude, <laughs> you've had an, you've had a very interesting life, Jeff. And I, I know last time we didn't delve very far in. I know we, we were talking before I started recording last time. And I remember you telling me the one thing that really stuck out was the way your parents were taking you to shows so young and like we didn't record it, but, and I don't think we delved very far into where you come from and kind of what made you who you are. You know what I mean? And, and with someone that's going into, or you're, you know, sober, going through sobriety, all that stuff, it makes me curious about things like where things maybe started from. If, as you go back, you see things that were maybe, warning signs or markers or the fact that something I've been reading on lately is like, if you could be necessarily born an addict, right? Like if you mm-hmm. can be born that way, basically mm-hmm. like pre um, like predispositioned for that lifestyle, like, or that situation, you know what I mean? Like people say I have an addictive personality or something, but if maybe that was in the cards for, if you were exposed to the right thing, like can we talk about that a little bit, because I'm really curious because we didn't, I don't yeah. think we went into that at all. I think we kind of started at, when I came into Thursday and kind of went from there. Well, yeah. So, uh, you know, my parents were both like, um, teaching at 
college and stuff. I was born in Rhode Island. They're both teaching in, you know, they're doing academic stuff. Both of them are PhDs. Both of them are like Mensa. You know, they're like, I have like brilliant, like genius level parents. And, um, and so I kind of was raised in that environment and only child, just kind of like two really smart parents. You know, they named me after, uh, Jeffrey Chaucer and William Shakespeare were like my two names, Jeffrey William Ripley. So, so they obviously thought I was going to be, you know, a, a big writer or something. And, uh, and, and so, so, you know, growing up, um, yeah, I, I always thought maybe that I, you know, I used to say when I would do drugs or, or have a drink, like I'm lucky I don't have a addictive personality. <laughs> and, and I think about that now and I'm like, but when I was a kid, like I totally did, it would just be like sugar or like, I'd get obsessed with things very, very easily. And music was like the number one thing that I got obsessed with. And my parents were like total music people, like had seen Led Zeppelin when they were the New York birds, you know, like. Uh, I saw Crosby, Stills and Nash when I was like seven, uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young when I was like seven or six and Jefferson airplane. Like, like, I think the first concert they took me to, I was three and it was to see like, um, uh, dire straits mm-hmm. and, um, and, uh, you know, just, just stuff like that all the time. Like when I was seven or eight, they took me to see the, um, Tom Petty and the replacements opened up. And so like, you know, I was like exposed to a lot of stuff really, really young, like got into Morrissey and the Smiths when I was young, um, then kind of gave that up and got into the cure and then, <laughs> and then like Nirvana happened. And that was like really big for me. Um, because, you know, I had always kind of considered like the romantic, like goth stuff that I was into and brick pop stuff that I was into. I considered like my friend's older sister's music, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? They're like, you like, this is cool. You check this out. You know, it'd be always like some gothy thing. Yeah. And then like Nirvana was like the first time I started buying like SST records and like, you know, found Fugazi and found this and found, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like this explosion of like, there's something deeper out there, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, yeah. And then I, and then I kind of like one of the early, like real obsessions that I had was nine inch nails because it sort of combined the gothy stuff that I liked when I was like a little bit younger and the punk stuff that I was starting to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And then, basically all through high school, like I had like, you know, bands and I couldn't sing at all. And like, I got the nickname tone Jeff cause I was so toned up. Um, <laughs> and, and I just didn't hear it cause I was toned up. So I didn't, I thought like I can sing pretty good, I think. And they'd be like, not like a melody you can't sing. You know, do you know what a melody is? And they'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. Something. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then by the time I got to college, it was like, um, I, I went to a state school. I got like, you know, I got, um, I think I was, I was talking to somebody about this recently. I think it was $3,000 a semester and that included room and board, which like, you know what I mean? I was really lucky that I would yeah. go so cheaply to school. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I had wanted to go to NYU and stuff. And at the time I didn't understand why my parents wouldn't send me. And now I'm like, oh, NYU is expensive. Makes so much sense now. Um, but I was really into like, uh, hard, really, really into hardcore at the time, you know, uh, bands like 108 and, uh, Bad Brains and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And actually when I was in high school, still, I would come into the city. It was $1.25 to get into the city from New Jersey where my parents had moved. And, uh, and so my friends and I would go into the city for a dollar 25 and we try to go to CBGB's and we get turned away for not being 16 yet, which was the age restriction back then. Mm-hmm. So the first time I actually got into CBGB's Daryl Jennifer, let me carry his base amp. Cause one of my friends knew him and was like vouching, like 
he's all right. Like he won't cause trouble. He's not going to drink or anything. He's just going to like, he wants to see the show. He really like loves, you know, yeah. this stuff. And, uh, and another time that I got turned away from CBGB's was the first time I went to Coney Island high. So I saw like a, I think that show was like mad ball, uh, crown of thorns VOD. It was like some like, you know, 10 band bill. And it was just like, yeah, very eye opening Cause I had never seen like underground New York hardcore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the time those bands were very underground, you know, there were a lot of them were on their demos and stuff like that. Like 25 to life was on their demo. VOD was on their like seven inch. So, um, you know, a lot of like real eye opening stuff when I was in high school. And then by the time I got to college, it changed a lot. Cause I saw like, um, the sort of wave of bands that really defined what I would get into and what Thursday would do bands like ink and dagger and you and I, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like, like a little more dark and a little more like, and maybe academic at times, but also chaotic and soft and not like super hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, yeah. So it was just a whole different thing. And, and that really, you know, pretty much as soon as I got to school, I found my other hardcore people, and as soon as we could move off campus, we rented a house together and started throwing shows. And that was like, really, that was the beginning of how Thursday started was we were, we were throwing uh, DIY underground basement shows that we had a friend who had a hacked Kinko card and we would make up the flyers and pass them around campus. And, um, you know, one of my roommates had an angel fire account. So it would paste yes. <laughs> online flyers, which I was like, why would you post online? Nobody goes on the computer at the computer lab. And he was like, what? Like, you know, he was yeah. already ready for like, the computer to be a thing. I was like, nobody gives a shit about computers. Dude, <laughs> Angel Fire, Angel Fire, GeoCities, all those, every, it's the band's yeah. name at, at angelfire.com or whatever. <laughs> totally. And those early boards, you know, those yeah. early hardcore boards and stuff. Dude, so. the message boards were huge. I don't think, I, I think Kinko's needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as totally. like, you know, like Matt Pinfield's in there for his, his, what he's doing. Yeah. But Kinko's in there, dude. They've given so much free stuff. Not knowingly, but they've <laughs> given say, like, so much free stuff since the, the 80s. And the original phone dialers yeah. that you got at the back of Maximum Rock and Roll where they made the coin sounds in the in the payphone booths. Yes. That's like touring bands lived on those. You know yes, what I mean? Exactly. Dude, I had I had Kamala Parks on uh on the podcast. She did like Op Ivy's first tours and like Green oh, Day yeah. stuff. And she had this whole network and she's like kind of responsible for the whole book your own fucking life thing. Well, yeah, that's where we all got out. It was great. Yeah, I told her we had it just in the van. We didn't even use it half the time because we didn't need to at the, that point. But we had it in the van just to read through it. Like I used to read through it in Alaska before we were touring just to see what was out there. Like, wow, this network is crazy. But like, yeah, yeah Kinko's needs to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a as a major proponent of of furthering hardcore punk rock, like anything that didn't start out with money, you know, right. like 80s hair metal, of course, was fine. But like the the all the old like black flag flyers and stuff like the legendary raymond pettibone stuff like was all done like on with elmer's glue and and wheat paste and then and then kinkos like stealing copies totally yeah it's insane and man yeah i mean speaking of all that stuff what i remember too is like the way that booking shows worked back then it was like if you were the one who had the basement in New Brunswick or one of the two or three people that had basements in New Brunswick, then you knew like the people at ABC No Rio and NYU and you knew like the people in Staten Island, like in CR and cable car theory and stuff like that. And you knew like the few people in Long Island and Wilkes bar and, you know, like all the places that were sort of around you, like as far down as like, you know, 
uh, Katie Otto in DC, who would do the Wilson Youth Center and like other, you know, college radio stuff. Um, and if you had a great band that was like, yeah, we had three shows fall through this week. Cause that's, you know, that's how it was with DIY shows. They'd mm-hmm. all be, you know, they'd be getting a place would be shut down or somebody's mom would say like, you can't do that this week or, you know, there'd just be <laughs> stuff like that. And so the band be like, we have nothing to do. And you just start making as like the person who booked that show that night, you would call your friends who are you in the next cities say like, you got any shows coming up? Can we throw these, these bands on? Yeah. I mean, that's how you'd end up with, you know, Converge and Raina Maria playing the same show. Yes. <laughs> like, how would we? And it would be amazing. People would have their minds blown, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. I would love to see that one. <laughs> we played, we played that one in New Brunswick. It was fantastic. Was that where you were like two of four or whatever? Oh no. I mean, I think we were like one of eight at that. One of eight. Yeah. Okay. It did. <laughs> that's fantastic. I remember shows like that, dude. Like we had three shows fall through in Texas. So we just slept in a Walmart parking lot for four days in El Paso, Texas. We're like, well, they we got nowhere to go. Too. Yeah, we would sleep in Walmart parking lots and Targets and in wherever, you know, and they used to let you. They really would, mm-hmm. you know. Every so often, like a security guard would come out at one of them and be like, What are you guys doing? I would be like, We're a band. And he's like, Oh, yeah, whatever. You yeah. know, basically <laughs> like, yeah, no, no big deal. <laughs> go ahead. Um, I remember we would drive 10 hours through Texas to a show, you know, yep. get there. And we'd, we'd call and we'd see the kid pick up the phone through the window and hide behind the blinds being like, yeah, I'm not here. I have a leaf town. He'd be like, man, he's right there. Like, he's right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can see him. Shit. Dude. We, yeah, we, we were talking about, like, who was I talking about this with? I don't remember recently about having to take a promoter to an ATM machine or to his parents' house. Yeah to get money. Cause like, dude, we don't uh-huh. have any money. Like you, a hundred bucks, something, let's find a hundred bucks. And we would drive him like hop in the van and you can get out of this van. When we get to an ATM, we're going with you. It was guaranteed. Like we, 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 we advanced the show, everything else, as much as you can guarantee a show like that. Right. Sure. Like, dude, we can't get to the next town unless we start selling blood. So we're going to find it. Yeah. I don't know if you guys had to do that, but that was, fuck. Oh yeah. Dude. We did that later. I mean, it was a lot harder when we were younger to do that because you've seen the guys in Thursday, like yeah. who was going to march anybody anywhere. Yeah. Um, maybe Steve, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. maybe Steve. But then later, you know, because, you know, you know, a lot of the people on the crew, but Tim Bohr started booking us. And once Tim Bohr was booking us, like promoters just started paying us whenever, because they're like, yeah, that guy's terrifying. Like, Dude tall and he's like looks like he's probably in a gang and he like rides a motorcycle and he's saying like i can be there in like a day if you guys can stick around like i can be there and i'll come see the guy and it's like whoa he's gonna drive across the country and come shake down a promoter for us people knew like just don't don't sit there don't sit there you can sit everybody else those to that dude tim bore real quick tim bore is one of the greatest human beings on on the planet one of the Living sweetest life. people yeah he got I was trying to get Randy from Lamb of God on the show for years yeah. and he made one phone call and Randy's like, book it Did yeah, the episode. Is. It went well. Randy was into it. I emailed Tim to say thank you. And he, he writes back the most thoughtful email. Like he's like, what you're doing is truly special. Like I have no problem helping you out when you need it. Like just a sweet human being. Of course he's terrifying. He's going to come on the show yeah. too and do an episode. Cause I want people to he's hear his story, but yeah. Yeah. Solid, solid, absolutely solid. Yeah. That's one person you need in your corner right there is Tim Bohr. Yeah. He's the only person that we've had for, for the 20, you know, the last 20 years, like mm-hmm. we're celebrating, you know, 20 years of full, since full collapse came out, which was like 
you know, we had a record before that, but full collapse defined what the band was doing. And, um, and you know, we've, he's the only person we've been with since then. Yeah. You know, whatever you say you got to do Tim. Oh, you need to leave your company because like, you don't agree with the way that they're treating bands and the way they're treating bookings and stuff. Like we'll follow you wherever you go. Like you're mm-hmm. going, Oh, you're going to do it yourself. You're not going to have a big support system yet. Like, sure. We're with you. You know, Dude. it's like whatever it is. So. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, we were joking. Shapiro and I were joking about the Dave or the the uh, Jerry Maguire thing. Like, <laughs> come in with a manifesto and bail. Is like, well, the only difference is he left with one client. <laughs> we took yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> took everybody. Yeah, but that's the yeah. When you trust somebody that deeply, you know, people say like, you know, it's all about relationships. Like, it's some kind of a revelation. It's like, well, what else would it be about? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like literally like about money, like what is that going to last you a year or whatever money is? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like nobody in music really makes life changing money, no matter what they do. So it's like, might as well do it for the right reasons and have it be about your friendships with people and yeah, your ideals and the things that made you love music in the first place. Like it's just no other reason. And, and I kind of like that, like streaming has done that. Like, of course I don't like scraping to make a living or like mm-hmm. not going to the doctor because I can't afford to. You know, nobody likes that. Of course. But I do like that, like, it has been like a strainer a little bit. It's gotten like anybody who is just doing it for the money, like, why would you ever do it for the money that's in music now? Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. So, so I can rare. That we're all lifers now, you know? Yeah. And you can say, like, fine. When you figure out money doesn't matter, like, it, of course, it matters for certain things. Like, you want to be able to support your family <laughs> and everything else. Sure. But when you realize, if you can realize money doesn't re- really doesn't buy happiness, you see these people that make insane money, killing themselves, yeah. uh, going off the deep end, like like just falling apart. That you now know money does not solve depression. It doesn't solve these things. Like it it, it and if you can get out before you get to that point, and mm-hmm. realize that and be happy where you are, it's it's huge because. Once you get to that point, then everyone's trying to take your money. You are looked upon like you can't like at your where you're at now, you could go into a store, you could go to a coffee shop and not have people like hounding you. You don't have to walk around with yeah. a security guard, you know, but you can yeah. go out there and rock thousands of faces off anytime you want, right? Like <laughs> of course the pandemic. But you yeah. can go be that person and then you can come back to your apartment. You can go to the store, you can go to the park. And, but you're, and you can be happy, right? Like you found that happy medium. I feel very lucky. I think when I was younger, there was probably a period where like bands that I had ushered through, you know, starting out and making their first records and stuff like that had become like huge platinum worldwide phenomenons. And I was like, I think sort of unconsciously, probably a little jealous of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, then, then one of them took us on tour in, the UK two sold out Wembley stadium shows. And when we walked in the street, we had to bring security guards and run away from mobs of people who were after them. And I was like, Whoa, this actually sucks. <laughs> you know, yeah. what I mean? like this actually is not fun. Like I want to just live my life basically and make music and have some people that like the music. But like, even the idea of somebody, you know, the, there have been a few, maybe a few times when somebody's taken it to the point of like adoration of us as people. And that's like, a, that's not a, it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel right. I don't think like, I don't really think that adoring a person or like idolizing a person really works 
for either the person who's doing the idolizing or the person who's being idolized. Like, I think it distorts like the just basic fundamental humanity of both parties. Yeah. I think it's much easier to idolize like, uh, an, an actual ideal or like music as a concept or say like this record means a lot as a work. Mm-hmm. But I think when you apply it to like a person, it can, it's, it's not, it's not great. You know? So yeah. I'm, I feel really lucky that my general default is people who listen to Thursday are like, yeah, it's a great record. Like not all their records are great. And also like, yeah, he's whatever. He's a person. You know what I mean? That's like, that yeah. feels right to me. That's like, yeah, I'm just a person who sometimes gets it right. Sometimes gets it wrong. And I do my best. You yeah. Know? <laughs> that's exactly right, man. Like that's the, that's the ultimate goal. Just be yeah. happy with where you are. I mean, you're creating great stuff. Like, of course I, with that, that full collapse record was in, we could have glued it into our car CD players, right? Like back then it's funny, like you're like maybe three years older than me, okay. but at the time it was like, holy shit. Like these guys are doing something like this is crazy. I remember the first time I heard, uh, uh, full collapse was in Walmart. I was working at Walmart. We hadn't started touring yet. And like the, uh, that, that record came, kicked in and I was just like, what is this? Like it was like late at night, we were already closed and our buddy Jim put it on. He's like, check this band out. From then on, I was like, what the, like, this is crazy. But we never like idolized, right? right? But we were just like, we want to be this band. Like we wanted to be the band. We didn't want to be, you know, individual members or anything. Like we wanted to be and sound like this band. And uh, so I definitely see what you're saying there. Like trying to it's, it's going to mess up the person that's being idolized for one. It's going to inflate everything. And it's just not, I mean, I think humans have always looked for a higher power, like, you know, every worshiping the sun, worshiping this plant, worshiping what, you know, there's always something above them, not necessarily a human being, but some people viewed people as deities, right? right? Like it's just like human nature to always have something bigger or something, you know, to look forward to, or, um, to bring you peace, but that, that idolatry is just crazy. You know, uh, you see what happened to, you know, the rock stars in the seventies, right? Where rock stars are dead now, pretty much. Like it's not a thing anymore. You can see what they had for breakfast on Facebook. Like there's no mystery anymore. That's what Mars Volta got right is they kept the mystery. They, they didn't go like, here's all everything about us. I think that's where they went, right? They were playing huge shows right away and there was mystery. And that kept yeah, people like, I mean, they're also like, who can play like the Mars Walton? Exactly. You know, they are they're great bands. Yes, that's <laughs> true. But there's so many bands, great bands like that, that don't get to that level, right? Like mm-hmm. they, they played the cards right. And mm-hmm. then just kept everything close to the vest. And, you know, and then like MCR, like you and I, 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 I would hang out with Gerard all the time on tour back in the day. Now, if I want to get in touch with Gerard, I have to go through two different managers and like wait for a date, you know, to be able to have a conversation. It's crazy to see how busy a life can get. Just a yeah. normal person, a wonderful, normal person. Yeah. How many hoops you have to go through just to, you know, it's crazy. Well, especially since, you know, it's like, you know, most rock stars who, who become famous, like, let's be honest, like, most of them weren't like healthy people before they were famous. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, like none of us are really like paragons of like mental health. And then you all of a sudden you like put us in a situation where everybody's looking to us like we're the next leader of the world or something. It's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it's, Oh, what, what could go wrong? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but, but I, I, I also think like, you know, one of the things that I found really, uh, you know, 
it's a funny thing. I think, you know, you can look at a system and say like, it's a broken system when like, you know, artists can't go to get any healthcare. It's a broken system when like, you know, like all these people love what you do and like, you can barely afford to like, you know, you're, you're below the poverty line or whatever. Like, so that sucks, right? That sucks. But, you know, I think these systems produce things that can, can end up being great and healthy for you. You know, when you have to learn to live inside a system that isn't very good, Mm -hmm. you can come up with your own like versions of things that can be really positive. And for me, um, coming home and working, you know, um, off the books, like cash jobs, retail and stuff like that, you know, in, in prep kitchens, in, you know, kitchen stores and just all these different places between tours. And I really learned a lot doing that. You know what I mean? I really learned, um, that a lot, it gave me a lot of freedom from being worried about whether the band was performing at the level that I wanted it to commercially or whatever. Like, it's kind of like, well, I never wanted to be in a big commercially successful band. I'm just worried about making rent. Mm-hmm. And like, if I can come home between every tour and work for a month and I don't really worry about rent as much, then I don't really care if the band is like packing, you know, a thousand seaters every single night, or if we're, you know, what, what level we're, we're playing at as long as like, I feel good about the art we're making and the way that we're getting along as people. And so that was like a really like, that was a big defining moment in my life as an artist was like, you know, take it, take a regular job and just do it. And actually like, I do think your art gets better when you remember that it's like such a beautiful privilege to be able to be listened to ever, to have anybody interested in what you have to say is such a beautiful thing. So you like focus on that instead of like, Oh my God, what am I going to do when you break this down across like, the crew and the bus and the this and the that and the thing we had to rent and the this and like we missed one show and that made it so we came home like owing money instead of making money you know that that got gets a little more relaxed when you're able to step back and say like hey the beauty of an artistic life is being able to make art mm-hmm. and meet, make it with other artists you know it's like i'm friends with writers and critics anybody who engages with art and loves it to the level where they make their life out of it it's like you're on my side. You can hate my band and you can write about it publicly. And I can feel like, did that ruin like the reputation of that record? But if we both love music that much that we made it our lives, then like, you're one of my people, you know what I mean? That's just how it is. So that struggle, that struggle is, I mean, the struggle is real. The cliche, the struggle keeps the blood thin, man. Like it keeps, keeps you hungry for something. If you just get whisked back and forth from different studios to then, Hey, well, we got to turn this record in soon. We better go down and just start writing, you know, like, uh, I want to try these seven $20,000 guitars and see how these sound. And like, it kind of gets watered down, you know, to the point where, I mean, it can appeal to a mass market. Like people are just like the, the people I like to refer to the people that just say, Oh yeah, I like that song. It's got a good beat. Like they don't understand music. They just like, it's on like they're in a Buffalo Wild Wings and, and this, this yeah. song comes on. There's like, oh, it's got a good beat. Like they don't, yeah. they don't understand it the way we do. What's going on guys. This is Dewey. I want to tell you about some new releases coming up from equal vision records. As you guys know, equal vision records is my family. And so are these bands. I really want you to check these out. We've got hot water music with their 10th studio album vows out may 10th featuring guest appearances by dallas green of city and color thrice the interrupters and brendan and daniel from turnstile see them on the 30th anniversary tour with quicksand in the states in may and june 
and Europe in November. Hotwatermusic.com for more info. We also have Be Well with their new 7-inch, A Tap I Can't Turn Off, out now. First new music in two years from this band. This band is incredible, featuring members of Battery, Bane, Darkest Hour, and Fairweather. See them on tour with I Am The Avalanche in June. Equalvision.com for more info on that. And just your general information on Equalvision Records, you're always going to find something you like at Equalvision.com. Go there for vinyl and merch from all of your favorite bands. Check out Hot Water Music's new record and Be Well's new 7-inch now. What's going on, guys? This is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid distributes your music across all online platforms. They are an amazing company. I've enjoyed working with them the last few weeks, and they're going to be with us for a while, and I really, really appreciate that. I love working with great companies, and DistroKid is one of them. Uh, they have an awesome thing they're doing right now called Splits. Now, if you're working as most people are online, doing collaborations with people from all over the country, all over the world, as easy as that is with the internet, uh, you want to get those people paid when you put that music online. And splits can do that. You can add an unlimited amount of collaborators to any track. You can change the splits at any time. You can add or remove collaborators at any time. You can see previous splits. And all your collaborators are going to have to do is sign up for a DistroKid membership, a DistroKid account, so they can get paid. And as always, DistroKid never takes a cut. You and your collaborators get 100% of the earnings in total. A couple other awesome things that they do is they set up an official artist YouTube channel. Uh, you can use Spotify Canvas, synced lyrics, promo card to promote your release on social media, a mini video for your socials as well. There's just so many awesome things about using DistroKid. And like I said, I don't advertise things I don't use, haven't signed up for. I have signed up for this. It is a breeze, literally a breeze. And you can get going right away. So definitely check out DistroKid. And I want to give you 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. That is distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for Peer Pleasure Podcast. Once again, that is 30% off your first year's DistroKid membership at any level. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP. Go check out DistroKid right now. Distrokid.com slash VIP slash PPP for 30% off. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com. Hey guys, this is Dewey from Peer Pleasure, and I wanted to tell you about Premium Pleasure, our premium subscription service that's available now. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. There's three tiers, tier one, tier two, and tier three. Tier one is $5 a month. It gets you the ad-free experience. Tier two gets you access to the Peer Pleasure Passcast. It gets you access to the videos of the interviews. It gets you merch discounts. Tier three is $20 a month. That gets you all of that. It gets you the Passcast, gets you the video footage, discounts on merchandise, and monthly Zoom calls well, with myself and other guests. We're going to have all kinds of stuff in there for you. There's all kinds of stuff in there for you now. 
There is, uh, I believe, 30 to 40 videos of these interviews. There is uh, multiple episodes of the past cast. The past cast is a podcast that I'd started separately. That is me and another podcaster or me and a guest uh, discussing a deep dive into their favorite episode of Peer Pleasure. Um, so there's a bunch of those on there. So so-and-so and I would talk about the Chino Moreno episode. So-and-so and I would talk about uh, the Yvette Young episodes. And we would do a deep dive and tell where they came from, how we got the guest, stories of uh, that weren't discussed on the podcast or maybe weren't in there. Um, it's just another glimpse behind the curtain. So that's the big deal with this premium service is giving you a glimpse behind the curtain of how the podcast is made, gives you access to things I'm doing and things that we're doing with the show, um, gives you, you know, ad free stuff. It gives you just all kinds of of things that we could throw in there to help make it a valuable part of your month, because I put everything out there on this show. I put everything I have into this show. Um, so being able to give you guys that little bit of extra is a big deal to me and having your support is a big deal to me because if we don't support our artists and creatives, we're not going to have any left. So I appreciate it. Peerpleasure.supportingcast.fm is the website. Go sign up today and get some of this premium pleasure. Um, and I, I think it can be kind of elitist, I guess, but, um, there's those kind of people and there's people that love music. Like they dissect it. They, they live it like they feel it. Um, the one thing you're talking about there though, like with the, the struggle of going back and forth from being this thing and then working at a kitchen store or doing whatever back with like the gladiators, right? Like those guys, a lot of those gladiators were slaves and mm. they would have to come out and fight. Like, like that was their job. And then they would go back mm. and like, there was, so they were living this, this meek, like lifestyle but then they were this this bravado when they performed and did what they did like super crazy to think about and and to go back and like have that that uh the words escaping me but that that back and forth right like that struggle of of i'm this at this hour of the day and i'm this the rest you know mm -hmm. it's just interesting to see throughout time how that stuff happens you know like where you can be this larger than life character and then go back and be doing whatever needs to be done instead of just going back and hanging out by the pool, you know? <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously there's like so many different things that we're touching on here. Um, but, and, and far be it for me to, to understand even the pain of a gladiator <laughs> or you know, anything, anything like that. But I do think that on some level, you know, uh, and I don't think that this should have to be like mandated by the state or whatever, but pain is, can be transformational, you know? And I, I actually don't know if, um, if like greatness is possible without like a huge amount of pain. And I think like people who seek pain because they want better art, they're already screwed because that's not really how it works either. But I do think that like, yeah, people say pain is, is an amazing teacher. And I've certainly found that like, it's through pain that I've found gratitude. It's through pain that I found like the willingness, like the, the, it's like through learning to not hate myself, I've learned to actually like have some value over my life. And that is like what comes through in art. I think, you know what I mean? That like having to find value in life when you'd like maybe have been suicidal, maybe have been like addicted to drugs, maybe have been, you know, all these things that like you wonder is life even a good thing and having to work that question out for yourself and find value in it. I do think that that struggle 
is like one of the most valuable things you can have in life, whether you're making art or not, like mm-hmm. just, you know, when people talk about the meaning of life, it's like, I don't know, overcoming pain. Like, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. I don't know what the meaning of life is, but I do think that like those challenges present the greatest opportunities to like live and find out who you are. Absolutely. It, I mean, it goes back to the the very basic thing that like, if without pain, you don't know what feeling good is. Totally. Like you don't know what, without sadness, you don't know what happiness is. It doesn't exist. Definitely. It's just, that's what antidepressants do. They just put you on a level playing field. There's no ups and downs. Like you just, so, I mean, and what you touched on there, did you go through a time where you hated yourself? Oh yeah. Really? Like, like yeah, getting over like a huge part of it was, um, for me, it was like, spending this is this is so corny i can't believe i'm gonna say it but like spending some time like looking in the mirror and being like it's okay i'm on your side i don't hate you and i'm sorry that i put you through this shit you know like like talking to myself just trying to like get myself into a place where i didn't like hate myself and i remember when i i came back like say so like like part of getting sober for me i did like a really experimental treatment that had like a pretty fair like a pretty wild hallucinogenic part to it and like one of the things they kept saying in the treatment is like, ask, ask, ask to see your true self, like ask to see your true self when you're under. It's like, okay. So I kept asking and kept saying like, no, no, no. And finally I was like, show me my true self. And it like flashed a black and white picture of Hitler. What? And I was like talking to the therapist for like six months after it being like, so what is it saying? Like that I'm Hitler. And then it's like, no, it's telling you that you really fucking hate yourself. And that's how you see yourself as like the worst possible person. And like really coming to grips with that, like, Oh, I guess I really do see myself that way. And I really do like despise something deep inside. And I, you know, I have to figure that out. And so as I unpacked that, I was telling a friend in another band, uh, that we were talking about life and he was like, Oh man, the singer of Thursday hates himself. I never would have guessed. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, that's the most obvious thing ever. <laughs> it was one of those moments where I was like, wow, can everybody see me except for me? You know, it was just one of those weird things where you start to say like, man, what a trip life is. You have this opportunity at some, at some point to know yourself and to confront your own demons and to actually like try and, and better yourself is like a real, it's like, it's like the, you know, all that Joseph Campbell, like Star Wars and all the other movies are actually about like facing yourself, the hero's journey or whatever. It re- it's a real thing. You know what I mean? Like facing mm-hmm. yourself is the scariest possible adventure you could ever be on. So, um, yeah, you, you can't go. hide anything from yourself. You can't, you hide. can't at some point you can hide. So you like, was this after when you were getting sober that you hated yourself because of what you put yourself through? Or was this beforehand before getting into drugs that you hated yourself and you'd use the drugs to, dull that like where where on the timeline was that before yeah i think probably before and then i think like the drugs were to numb that yeah and then because of the way that drugs work you know which is you'll hear in like if you ever go to like a 12-step meeting or any of those kinds of things you'll hear people say like the drugs worked until they didn't so it's like yeah the drugs helped me not hate myself for a couple years Mm -hmm. and then they just exacerbated how much i hated myself because i realized that i had become a junkie in that time and that like i was actually now not a trustworthy person now i was somebody who would like yeah you got like 20 dollars i could borrow you know what i mean like it's like well that fucking that actually does suck you know what i mean like now i am a piece of shit like so I, maybe, you know, and, and, and part of it is like finding that rock bottom and be like, I don't want to be a piece of shit. Like I want to be a good person who like 
you know, I care about people. Like I want to do right by them. I want to do right by the people that I care about, which is basically everybody. Like I love people. Like Mm -hmm. I, 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 I may say some cynical things from time to time, but like generally I like really love people and believe that like all music that's a true expression of somebody is like sacred, whether it's good or bad or whatever it's Mm -hmm. like to somebody, it means everything, you know? Yeah. And, um, and so it's like, kind of like, maybe it's time that I actually like find a way to, to make sure that I'm honoring all these principles that I had. And that like, I don't hate myself because I actually like work. I spend my life working to uphold like the, the power of people to like express themselves. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I got to start volunteering. I got to start mentoring. I got to start, it's kind of like a wake up call of like, dude, you still believe these things. You just need to not be full of shit. You need to like, go do it. Yeah. And that was awesome. You know? And I love what you said about like pain and pleasure being like, it's true. Like the human brain is, is only a differential engine. You know what I mean? Like you cannot have an experience of pleasure without an experience of something that isn't pleasure. Mm -hmm. And also like good and bad light shadow, all that stuff. It's like the only way that we understand everything is as, as a binary, you know, the, the dialectical of being, I think some people would call it. And, um, and I think like, I've been really lucky to experience like extreme pain and and self-doubt and also like exhilaration and triumph. And like, I, I, I consider that most of all that, that continuing from good to bad, that's like the real lucky part Mm -hmm. of my life is that I've been able to, to have like experiences, you know, it's like, get out there and fucking do it and live. Yeah. You know, (laughs) so dude. Yeah. And see, and experience feeling that even when you're in a good space, like you are now, I'm sure you still have bad days and that's required Mm -hmm. almost like it, yeah. You have to be able to dip your toe in that and be like, okay, I don't like this, but I embrace it. Like it's part of my life. Like it's part of, part of who I am. Like there's that balance. It's just that basic balance. It seems so simple to find, but it's oh, yeah, extremely right. hard. We spent <laughs> our entire life chasing it. Yeah. Like it's on a teeter totter your whole life. Even when you're in a good space, you could still you know, wobble the wrong way and everything can kind of topple for a second. You know, it's, it's, uh, totally. you know, there's a reason babies cry all the time and they're not smiling and giggling all the time. They're feeling things. Something hurts. There's a gas bubble in their belly. Like something is showing them there's, it's, there's good and bad. Like from, you know, the things we also have to unlearn as, as yeah. children is like even just lifting properly. When you're a kid, you squat down and you pick up your bucket. When you're an adult, you bend over and throw your back out, right? Like right. these things, you know, instinctually that you unlearn on purpose. It seems like just because you think you can do it better, faster, whatever, it all comes right. back to that basic balance that we have right when we come out, right? Like that, totally great. Yeah. that's um, been working a lot with stoicism lately. Like if, you know, and the, the philosophers and reading that stuff and trying to find harmony in things, harmony in traffic, harmony in, in, you know, something's not going my way. Well, it's not necessarily my way. Like I'm a part of this bigger thing that's, that's going. And so, I mean, going back to your, to your recovery too, and you were, you were an only child. So like you, I, I assume you're probably kind of a lonely child. Probably your parents were both working and had a lot of time to yourself. So a lot of introspection, yeah. a lot of, uh, a time spent alone thinking, listening to music, meditating on, you can go down a rabbit hole when you're by yourself. I remember, so I remember a babysitter, my mom asking a babysitter if I gave her any trouble one day and the babysitter being like, I can sit him in front of like a blank wall and he's happy. Like, and I remember I would just like stare at the wall and like, 
you know, yeah. just come up with my own little scenarios in my head for hours. Cause that's what it's like when you're always alone, you know, as a kid, dude, So yeah, that's intense. <laughs> that's intense. It's uh, what's that? What's that? Um, there's a actually like a, a story a philosophy is that the allegory of the cave where they're all chained sitting, looking at the wall and they're watching the shadows and they think yeah. that's their world until one of them gets outside and is like, guys, I saw a tree. You're crazy. What are you talking about? Hey, like, you're nuts. <clears throat> yeah, that's that's wild. Sitting in front of the wall, just making your own stuff up, dude. That's that's a blessing too. being able to just be be bored. Yeah, like, I kids think aren't bored anymore. That's how I became an artist, really, is is through mm-hmm. those hours of having to try and conjure something that excited me. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And I think like, you know, I don't know. I, I think, I don't know if this is part of the self-loathing or totally separate, but like, I think as somebody who became known as a singer of a band who wasn't naturally a singer, like, um, it was really hard for me to take myself seriously, seriously as an artist, because I would have these grand visions and designs and plans and at the end of the day, most people would say like, we can't really sing, you know what I mean? And, and so I internalized that critique and was like, yeah, I'm like, everybody else in my band is amazing. And I feel like a lot of these ideas were my ideas, but like, maybe I just can't sing and they'd be better without me. It's something that I thought like a lot, you know? And, um, and the funny thing is, is like now, you know, I've spent the years trying to become like a, not just a better artist, but a better craftsman, you know, somebody who could actually like step up to a microphone and like, I can sing and I know what pitch I'm in. I know what key I'm in. And if you change the key of the song, I know which the new notes are like, you know, it took a really long time for me to learn that stuff. Um, and the funny thing is like, now I can see like, oh yeah, but some of the art that I made when I couldn't sing was, was more compelling, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's how art is. Sometimes the vision is more important than the execution, you know, is it's a funny thing. Yeah. So like now that I'm older and I, I am better at it, I can see more clearly what doesn't, what doesn't matter. You know, I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. I'm glad I learned how to sing. That's something I get to take with me for the rest of my life, sitting at home with a guitar and play a song for my, my partner or whatever, you know, I can do whatever. And that's great. Yeah. I'm glad I learned how to sing, but now I can say like, Oh wow. I was really like, I was really hard on myself and I didn't give myself credit that like I was an artist then. And that's all I've ever cared about is making art, you know, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't grant myself that voice because I didn't feel worthy of it. And I think, you know, we talk a lot, people are always talking about imposter syndrome these days. And I do think that probably every person has it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I was talking to a therapist the other day about these fear, like fear. Like I had a fear just come on me that just, I was just telling it, like, it makes me sick to my stomach when I even think that something like that could be possible you know, like scenario, like not even real things, just scenarios of things that could happen. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, you're not going to be free until you realize that at least once more in your life, probably twice more, you're going to lose everything that you care about. You just need to accept that. And I was like, that's what the therapist said. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. That's deep. He's like, when you make peace with that, you're going to be like a lot happier. And I was like, Whoa. And like, I realized like, if I really did think that though, like, you know, people that I love, like the things that I've built in my life, like, and like, yeah, like at least once. And he's right. Right. We all die and lose everything. Yeah. yeah. But like, but probably twice, like, wow. Yeah. Probably it won't just be the one time. Like there'll, there'll be other things that I lose. Like they're the yeah. most precious things to us, you know? And, uh, and so it's like, yeah, fear makes sense. Like, yeah, 
Like you're not going to always have everything that you have, but like, I am trying to realize like, well, maybe that just means I should be living in gratitude right now because like, I have a lot of things that I really care about in my life. Yeah. You know, dude, that is profound <laughs> Yeah, to think really about. Was. Like I lost my dad between you and I talking last time and now, Oh wow! and it was profound, hundred yeah, percent profound, sure but what I've talked about before is the, the grief that he left in me shows me how much of an impact he had on my life and how important he was. And that was almost a greater gift than anything else is the hurt that he left behind because it just showed me like this person matters, like totally. in my life. When I started looking at it that way, I started to try to like embrace it, you know, like I'm going to hurt like this as long as I can. Cause I want to feel this fresh, uh, wound and experience this as much as I can just to, to, to savor it all because time does heal things and it goes away to a degree. But that initial heartbreak is, is just a gift. Like it's, it's really is. And yeah. to hear, I mean, and what, what would you lose? You could lose your health. You could lose a parent, both parents, a partner, a child, uh, you, you could be stricken and not be able to play music anymore. Like, Everything you love can be uh, everything. There's so many things. Yeah. There's so many things that can happen. Music Um, could never come back. You know, like it's, yeah. Granted, it's still here in other forms and it's just not going to be in a festival setting so far. So far. But that is profound, man. You just blew my mind there with that because, (laughs) like, just telling someone that, someone that's struggling, like if you and I were having a conversation like that and I come back at you with, Dude, you're not going to be free until you realize you're going to lose everything you love two more times, like at least once, maybe twice. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> yeah, thank you for saying hell. that. But dude, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm paying you money to help me here yeah. and you're helping me in a really rough way. <laughs> yeah, he was like, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad we finally had a good session. You know, or I'm like, well, well, OK, I got I'm going now, I guess. I guess I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh but yeah, man, you said something too, you know, like that, that like the heartbreak with your dad being like this gift of something that you have to like really pay attention to. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody else about somebody that I lost and they were telling me that like, you know, there's going to be a point in time where this doesn't hurt anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst part of it. Yeah. And I'm like, what? And then I sort of started to understand like, yeah, then that person is really gone. Like once it doesn't hurt anymore, that is like the part is like, man, what the fuck? Yeah. It's <laughs> like you fuck? really lost them now. Yeah. You know, then you yeah. just have to think back. What did he teach me? What lessons did I learn? Like then it becomes mechanics like, right. okay, I know how to fish because he taught me how to fish. I know how to treat people because I watched him treat people this way. Like I'm doing this show like he used to do his radio show. There's, I used to go with him Thursday nights and sit there and watch him do this. Like, but once you lose that pain, like they're, they're gone. Like yeah. I'm not religious. I don't believe there's an afterlife. So, mm-hmm. but I also do believe like you get what you get, but you also can, nothing belongs to you. You borrow it because of, yeah. essentially you're going to lose it in the end, right? You don't want to be the richest guy in the graveyard. Like you don't want to go there. Me without you. That song where he says, like, my life's a cup of sugar I borrowed before t- time began and forgot to return. 
that like the first time I heard that song, I was like, these guys are the greatest bands. <laughs> like they just drop that in a song. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, this is the greatest fucking band ever. <laughs> um, but I totally agree. Like, it's like, we borrow, we borrow what we have on this, you know, in this yeah. life. Um, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're allowed to, you know? Um, yeah. Damn, man. You have can't to went here. This is awesome, dude. I, this is what this show is about. This is why I don't have notes because we would never get to these points. I'd be asking about this meaningless thing and this meaningless thing. And you know, yeah. it's stuff I can't stand. I can't stand. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts just because a lot of them are just run of the mill, but they're longer. So instead of the 10 minute loud wire interview, it's an hour and a half loud wire interview. And it's, you know, <laughs> yeah. like how many times I, I don't, I don't, and it's not to say anything against either, but I don't necessarily care who recorded the re what producer was used and what instruments were used. I can read that in the liner notes or read it in a short blurb later, but I want to know where the person comes from, who, mm -hmm. what makes them, right? Because right now, you and I are spending time together. This is time we'll never get back. It's recorded, right. which people can enjoy. But if you think of how many people listen to this show and spent this hour, hour and a half with us, that's their time too that they yeah. had to give up to do this, to listen to what we're saying. Absolutely. Right? It's the craziest thing in the world. How many yeah. hours have people spent listening to your records? How many situations have they been listening to your records? You know? Yeah. How many times has it been playing in their car when they got in a car accident and died? How many times was it the last thing they ever heard? The last show they ever saw, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, I've had people tell me like, yeah, you, you know, you owe me something because, you know, uh, I, I was playing your record and the stereo caught fire. My whole house burned down, like when I was a kid. Holy and like, you know, I just, and they're joking around that I owe them something, but I'm thinking like, holy shit, like, yeah, like our records have become a part of their lives. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. whether or not you still think that freaking for the workforce drowning is a good song or not anymore, you're still going to remember that record is like <laughs> the record that burned down your freaking house. You know yeah. what I mean? And that's wild. You know, like it does become a deeper part of people's lives. And one of the things that I said when we were doing full collapse in its entirety for the 20th anniversary, was like, the reason that this is a classic record now isn't because of us. It's because you cared and you mm -hmm. made it a part of your life. And like, that is what made it a great record is that it's a part of a bunch of people's lives and they want to remember that. Like, so thank you for turning this record into something that matters. Like we didn't do that. You guys did that. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's pretty wild. crazy the effect we all have on each other, you know? Yeah. You put it, the bravery it takes to put out a record for anything is is astounding. You know, like to put yourself out there like that. But you take it, it's like these, um, I love analogies, but like in my mind, I think in analogies, it seems like like there's these, these magnetic uh, rollers that they use at construction sites to wheel over the parking lot to pick up nails and things that got dropped, right? So they don't pop right. people's tires. When you put sense. a record out there, that trajectory is picking up experiences and memories and things like that of people. It's bringing yeah. people together. It's doing like all the, the, it's picking up the house burning down. It's picking up. She broke up with me while I was listening to this record, or I put this on after she broke up with me, uh, lost somebody, put this record on at this show. I met my wife, blah, blah, blah. Like all of that is sticking to it like a magnet and it's just growing. And that's the, exactly what you're saying. Why that's legendary is not because we, it's because of everybody mm -hmm. It united so many people and still does. Mm -hmm. It's still gathering experiences. 
You know what I mean? Like it's like a child. You put it out there and it's just living a life of its own. I mean, look at Refuse. They put out the record, broke up, put out a record that changed music and they just sat back and watched it happen. They didn't even have to go play the songs. I can't even imagine what like, that was like. But it's the same thing. It's just they weren't going out and playing it. It's, it was living its life. All right, son, go off to college. And the parents just watching what happens. You know, like it's and, and then the kid comes home. 10 years later for a holiday and let's talk, let's tell the stories of what happened. Right. And it's this big monumental event. What have you done with your life? Like you can see it. It's mm-hmm. cool, man. It's cool. But it, that initial, Hey, let's put this record out and maybe the label will make whoopee cushions, right? The fucking Thursday whoopee cushions, <laughs> put the record out and see where it goes. Right. See what it does. It's crazy. Yeah. It's the ripple effect times a million. Like it's just huge. Yeah. And every band can do that. Whether it's a small amount of, of things sticking to that record or a massive amount. When you put that record out there, 10 people hear it, a thousand people hear it, a million people hear it. It's going to be, uh, like it's, it's going to grow exponentially. It's wild. There's so much out there unifying us and so much out there tearing us apart. It just seems simple to go the other way and just be like, let's all get together. But unfortunately, it's not that simple, you know, <laughs> as you've seen. That simple. Good <laughs> records and good art makes it seem simple, right? Yeah, exactly. It makes it feel like, of course, what else we're going to do? Let's be together. Yeah. You know I mean? And that's why, like, those records that have, like, that communal bond around them that make up bring us all together, we love so much, you know? And, and yeah. Yeah, I, it's funny. Like like you said, like, anybody putting out a record at all, it's, like, quite a thing, you know? Yeah. And, and uh and there's a record that it'll be, I think it'll be officially finished next week uh, that I've been working on since I got sober. So four years. And it's the shortest record I'll ever put out probably. And it's uh, it's one of those things that just like two years ago, I would have put it out the way it wasn't. And it kept changing and kept changing and kept changing. And I kept thinking like, it was already perfect. I don't want to, you know, this is already <laughs> like the best thing I've ever done in my life. And and now it's coming out and now I'm almost like, I don't even want to put it out because I love it so much at this point. Like, I just want it to be mine forever. You know, I yeah. don't want to hear any feedback on it because I finally, I finally feel like I made a record that honors like everything that I wanted to be when I was a kid. You know, like I wanted to be PJ Harvey when I was a kid. Like that she, she was like my idol. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I wanted to be her. I wanted to be like her on stage. I'd watch her like crawl around the stage and do all this stuff. And it's got like, you know, pieces of Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave and like uh, big pieces of Nine Inch Nails and Portishead and My Bloody Valentine and bands like Curve who are like much lesser known, you know, Curve and Lush mm-hmm. and stuff like that and um, the Cocteau Twins and, and, and stuff like that. So it's like on that one hand, it's like all these things that I wanted to be on as a kid, but it's the most me record I've done where it's just like, it can't really be any of those things because it just sounds so much like me. You know what I mean? And, and to be fair, whether it's loved or hated, it'll be because of that. It'll be because of like how much of myself I put in the record. Um, and now that we're like so close to finishing it and it'll be out like sometime, you know, in the next year, I guess, depending, you know, I'm here, I'm hearing that it's like the vinyl stuff is like all backed up because some of the last remaining plants have even closed since the pandemic and stuff like that. But, um, but you know, 
eventually it'll be coming out at this at my age now, like if it comes out next year, it's what's the difference next year. I'll be here before I know it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's already um, June almost. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know how this is happening so quickly. So, uh, so I don't, I don't sweat like I used to about like whether it's April or May that a record comes out. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's, it's like the first time I've been really like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm putting this all out there in like, you know what I mean? I haven't felt like that in a really long time. Yeah. Cool to be nervous again. You know? Yeah, it mean it means it means something to you. Ozzy still gets nervous before he goes on stage, like yeah, because it's important. Yeah, it's not jaded, yeah, right? Like anybody can, do, but it's that feeling that keeps you alive, right? Like it keeps you, like I said, keeps the blood thin. And you're in yeah. a position now, probably way better to put that record out and yeah. deal with what comes back from it with yeah, a, yeah, with yeah, a yeah. sound mind uh, on a firm uh, foundation of sobriety with yeah. a greater understanding of yourself far better than you've probably ever had in your life. Um, I mean, that's a gift too. Yeah. I mean, you're standing on something that's rock solid and you're going to put something out there and no one's going to tear you down. I mean, even if they lambasted the record, like you'd be able to take yeah. it in stride. It wouldn't throw yeah. you into a tailspin. It wouldn't, that strength is, is huge. You know, it feels really good. I mean, this is the thing. So like, you know, Thursday has been playing, you know, which is such a crazy thing to me. Thursdays, like back together, playing, like doing whatever the hell we want to do. We still haven't put out new music. It's been 10 years. Mm-hmm. And it's not because we haven't written. Like we get together, we write. And like some days, like we just don't click at all, you know? And like when people start to get upset, I think I, I say, you know, I, I talk to the guys and I say like, guys, like we've been together for 23 years. It's the same band. Like we put out like, seven releases that are like we're really proud of like not all of them are love but we we didn't take a day off you know what i mean we just put our hearts into seven records i was like it's all bonus time we never put out anything ever again we're still like we did it it's all good we we did what we needed to do and now if anything else comes out like this is like this is for us now you know it doesn't even matter like and that has been really great just to be like sort of like a semi like uh reasonable voice in, in the band as opposed to I used to be the crazy one that was pushing everybody harder than everybody else. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, just like, it's gotta be perfect. It's gotta be, that. you know, I was like that, um, <laughs> to, to be able to say that to them and realize like, it really doesn't matter at this point. Like being in a room with them matters, having them still be like the people that I grew up with that I love and my best friends, like that matters. And like, you know, we did as much as we could for people to like, to have, music that they loved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying we'll never have anything again, but knowing that like, it just doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't matter. We're not going to, we're not going to do it for a paycheck. We're not going to do it. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. the only reason we're going to release something is because we wrote something and went, Holy crap. That's really, that needs to come out. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, that's been a really beautiful, that's been like one of the real gifts of like sobriety and also of having a band that's lasted as long as Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, Dude. <laughs> It's you're in such a good place right now, Jeff. Like, and do they notice that? Do they notice that when you, when you say those things to them at practice, like, dude, who are you? Like our manager will call like, sometimes things will like little things will just boil over and explode kind mm-hmm. of. And I'll be like, let's just jump on zoom really quick while we're here. You know what I mean? Like, I know everybody's freaking out and we're trying to cancel like a whole bunch of stuff right now and just like yeah. freak out. And I'll be like, you know, if you guys can't do it, you know, if somebody in the band can't do it, then we'll cancel. 
And if you can do it, but you're not sure you can do it or whatever, like we can do it and nobody's going to be mad at you. Like, just, just make the decision that's right for you and yeah, and we'll figure it out. You know what I mean? Like no, no hard feelings. Yeah. And then we end up doing it and everybody's happy. And our managers just be like, I cannot believe that the lead singer is the voice of reason in this band <laughs> right now. Especially not the, like the ex junkie lead singer who like, like, I just can't believe it's you. It's so weird to hear you say same stuff. Yeah, dude. <laughs> That's excellent. Has Paul been with you the whole time, pretty much? No, Paul has been with us since I got sober. So when I okay. was in treatment, the rest of the band picked him as the manager. Okay. We had like a, we had a few people left that were down to that. Tim Bohr was like, "You should meet with these people." And I met with a bunch of them and was basically like, "Jeff can't make the decision. He can't make a decision about anything right now." Yeah. So I went away and they picked Paul as the manager, and it was like the greatest decision that we've ever made as a band. And uh, I came back and got to know the guy and like, yeah. Yeah. He's really so cool. fantastic. He's who I worked with last time when we got together and, and yeah, Paul, he's awesome, super responsive, just friendly dude. And I love that Tim hooked that up because again, Tim Bohr stepping in and, and making, making things happen, you know? Uh, yeah. Well, in response, mostly to me being like, you should manage us and be like, look, I'm pretty good at everything I do, but you guys are a trip. You know what I mean? He was like, this guy, though, he used to manage Gogo Bordello. There were like 11 members. Yeah. I think he can probably handle you. Dude, absolutely. Man. Well, so. dude, Jeff, this has been awesome, dude. This has yeah. been a lot of fun. I've, I, I was so excited going into this because I was just like, I love the part twos because we've already, you know, done the part one. We've done the whole awkward, hey, how are you? Like, I love the establishing these. Shot. Yeah. Exactly. But I, I really feel blessed to, to, uh, be able to chat with you and, and, and pick your brain and get this, this knowledge from you and, and this perspective, you know, aside from the music, all the music you've made that I love, you know, just this time, like this, this hour and 15 minutes we spent just going back and forth on different thoughts. It, it means so much more to me yeah, because it's just here, real. You yeah. Know? Same here. Like, I, I really appreciate, uh, you know, I was looking forward to talking to you again, but like, I really appreciate, uh, you know, that we can have like a real conversation. It's not just like an interview, you know, cause an interview yeah. often is not a real conversation. It's, it, it's never. people answering questions and asking questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then um, you're thinking the whole time, what's he going to ask next? Oh my God. And then I'm thinking, okay, he's almost done talking. What am I gonna have to say next? There's no one's engaged, you know, there's no eye there, contact. No there's nothing. Bands do like press junkets sometimes, you know what I mean? Where it's like a whole day of interviews. And on those days, I would remember I'd, I'd get asked a question that I had answered, you know, 30 times already that day. Uh -huh. And I think like, should I answer the same, the real answer? Or should it just like, what's the point? And like, I'm so bored. I just want to say something else. And like, is that weird if I give like different people, different answers? Like, or is that cool? Is that make it, am I subverting the interview? You know, I always start to, <laughs> I'm not even remotely thinking about whatever you're asking me about. I'm having a totally different conversation in my head about how weird it is to be asked <laughs> the same question over and over again. Yeah. There's what fat Mike for no effects was telling me. He's like, yeah, I just answered the question. I wish I was asked. That's how he handles the interviews. Yeah, He's like, I just time. asked the one I wished I was asked. And, and that's, uh, that's professional level stuff. I'm at the, I'm at the like weird, <laughs> I have to examine my motives for everything I do. <laughs> um, I do really quickly though. I, I never do this, but I, with you, I want to do yeah. this just because one is an interesting one. So I posted on the Facebook group, like I was going to talk to you today and I was like, Hey, if there's anything you guys want to put out there, put it out there. That's what I do. I was like, I'm not going to bring it up unless it's naturally on my mind, but, um, one question was kind of interesting and it's something I've not heard. Um, and, uh, Nico wanted to know if there is 
a studio version of Tightwire that exists. He oh, sent me a YouTube yeah. video of it um, live, but he wanted to know if there's a studio version. Did you watch it? Is there, is there, there's an existing, the only time we ever played that was CBGBs, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I have it right here. It's uh, no. I can, I can email yeah. over the link, but yeah, yeah. is Send there, a, is there a studio version? There is a studio version that we've never released. Dude. Well, there you go. I, there's one part in the song that I wasn't crazy about. Okay. And recently, basically there's a bunch of stuff like that. There's a bunch of stuff that we played once that we never released. Um, because, because, you know, as I said, in our own ways, we tried to be perfectionists. And I think that the meaning of that changed over the years, mm -hmm. you know, I think like what we considered by the end, by like no devolution, I realized that my grip on the band had been a, a stranglehold for some years, you know, like, um, full collapse world of time. Like I had gotten very, like, I mean, I have the vision for what we do, which is a ridiculous thing to do when you're in a, a band with a bunch of people who are more talented than you are. So I really relaxed the grip on that. And during no devolution, I think that made it a lot looser records. I think there are maybe a couple songs that I, now I would maybe cut if I was like, the producer, I'd say like, well, I just take those two off. Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the time it was very important to like, let the band express themselves more purely. And that record we basically wrote live in the studio. So like the way that no devolution worked, um, they would get up and put, start setting, they would make coffee and start setting up the gear at about nine in the studio. Mm -hmm. with headphones, you know, it sounded good. It was a Dave Friedman mix. It's, it sounded like the record already when they would play. Yeah. So, um, they would set up and they would start jamming and writing ideas that they had and they'd bring like the most, and I would stand in the room with them and be like, I like that. And I kind of hum some stuff over it and be like, that's a cool idea for, you should use that part as the chorus. Cause I can sing something cool over that, you know? And, um, then Dave would get there at like noon and they would just start recording. And at dinner time, no, I'd like, Sorry, like three, they'd give me a rough mix of the song. Like, this is the song now. Go write the vocals. And after dinner, I'd start recording the vocals. So the whole song would be written from like the morning into like I'd write the, the, the lyrics in the afternoon and we'd be singing. And by dinner time, we'd have basically the mix. Okay. It wouldn't be totally mixed, but it'd be basically like that's what it's going to sound like. So it'd be like the idea in the morning, finish song at night, and that, that was it. And I think that was like a really beautiful way to like find out how talented the rest of my band members were. And so we were, there were no outtakes really from that record, but all the other records have like tons of songs that we cut. Okay. Um, so recently I was actually like, who has those? Like, I don't want to hear those. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know why. I don't know if, if we would ever release them or if like we should like be pulling them apart for scraps or, Dude. You know, I, I just wanted to hear them basically. Cause I haven't, I forgot that we have like a whole bunch of songs that nobody's ever heard that I, I haven't heard since we made them. You know what I mean? Did you guys do many covers? We didn't, but I was gonna say a covers and rarities record, like the Deftones did dude. that record was rad. Like that'd be a cool yeah. idea to do. I mean, when we do covers, I love them. Like mm -hmm. our Buzzcocks cover. I loved that. Like, and the thing that happened with that where Pete really loved it and like would have me come on stage to sing it with them and then came on stage to do it with us. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that's yeah. like wildest dreams type stuff. <laughs> so it's like, maybe, you know, we did that. We did a cigarettes cover. I think we've only got like three covers maybe, but Dude, um, combine them, put out a rarities and, and covers record, man. Why not yeah. put it maybe all out there, get it all out all. to the world. You know? Let it start collecting the now where that's like, 
you got to open the vault at some point. Yeah. Let it start collecting. Let it start collecting uh, experiences like full collapse and everything else. Right. <laughs> right. Let it, let it See what happens. I mean, yeah. people are people are interested. I've never got a question that specific. Usually they're just like, oh, like I like I like this about the person. I like this about because the they know I don't go and read guest suggestions on the on the episode. But in this mm-hmm. case, I was like, "This is really interesting. I've no, I've never even heard this song before. I'm definitely going to ask." It's just so but... weird that I brought it up the other day. Like, I like literally, I had the name of it wrong because we, you know, when we record the songs, we have all these ridiculous working titles. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'd be like, "Does anybody have Hardball?" You know, and be like, no, Hardball came out. It, it ended up being into the blind lane. I'm like, okay, is it? Is it? Uh, plus, I'm hungry for shit. Does somebody have that one? Like, you know, what I mean? like just like. These absurd names. Yeah. And they'd be like, that's this one. What about one time I saw a ghost? Like, that's this one. Uh, that came out here. I'm like, fuck, what's the song I'm thinking of? And somebody was like, tell you why, Amy. Oh, yeah. That was it. <laughs> Dude. Well, right on. Well, that's good. That's good information. I, yeah, like, I, 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 that's the first time I've read one of these on here, but I, I just felt. I needed to know that one because I've ne- I'd never heard that song before. So that's deep. That person found deep, it's a deep cut. cut. Right there. That was Nico. Yeah. He uh, yeah, he's in the Facebook group. But like, uh, what's up, Nico? I'm going to say hi. Hi, Nico. Hey, there you go, uh, dude. Thank you so much, man. I uh, this this has been great. Absolutely yeah, it's great. Been my pleasure. I'm inspired. Really? I feel good. I've been feeling down the last few days. I don't. I haven't been doing as many of these. I was usually doing like five a week, but now I haven't done one last week because we were getting vaccinated and everything else. Daughter's birthday. I was like, man, oh, I'm getting I'm back on the horse this morning. It's going to feel good. Yeah. Like, and it did. So excellent. Well, dude, dude, this is, this is so much fun. Awesome, Jeff. Well, dude, enjoy the rest of your day. I'll send this link over to Paul, um, and have him forward yeah. it on to you. And then, uh, yeah, we'll be in touch soon, man. Just be Sounds well. Hang yeah, in there. All right, bro. <laughs> Great talking to you. Bye. Bye. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jeff Rickley from Thursday from No Devotion. Uh, dude is prolific and he's doing well. Uh, I'm glad to hear his recovery is going well. Uh, he was just under 90 days sober when I interviewed him last time. And just seeing him now in a totally different place, just the smile, uh, he's doing great. So thanks to Jeff for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks to Paul and Dave for setting this up and getting us connected again. And, uh, Man, I just love having a team behind this show. It's awesome to be able to delegate some things and have them happen while I'm trying to make the show what it is. Um, Takes the pressure off me in a lot of ways, which I really, really appreciate my team at Equal Vision and Sound Talent Media. Um, Yeah, just paramount people. They're just great people. So thank you to them. And thank you to all of you guys for coming back week after week. Thank you for rating and reviewing the show, spreading it by word of mouth. I get new messages literally every day from people that are just discovering the show. And that's the best because then I know they can go back and listen to so much content. If they're into the show, there's so much for them to dig through. Um, I love finding shows that I enjoy like that as well. So it's very humbling to me um, when people find my show and feel the same way. So thank you. If this is your first time listening, definitely go back, listen to the part one with Jeff. Um, We delve a lot more into addiction and, and, uh, him getting mugged and all sorts of just awful things but it was a good chat and uh there's tons more if you like that episode if you like this episode uh you're gonna like probably most of them um and i just i i couldn't do the show without you guys i really really appreciate having you guys week after week i love each and every one of you Uh, like i said i'm traveling so i'm doing this remotely from a basement in my cousin's house in idaho falls idaho and uh want to get it out to you guys so sorry it's a little bit late only about 12 hours late but um consistency is key with podcasts so we're gonna find a way to get it done we'll get it done um 
yeah, I'm just rambling here. But thank you guys so much for coming back week after week. Uh, tell a friend about the show. If you haven't rated the show on iTunes, please go do that. It definitely helps us out. And uh, as always, we'll see you on the radio. Hey everyone, this is Tuck from Fit for a King, an off-road minivan. Every week I bring you fun interviews alongside your favorite metalcore entertainers with my new podcast, Get Tucked. Join me every Monday with bands like Counterparts, Crystal Lake, like Moths to Flames, and many more. We play unsigned and undiscovered bands, deep dive into each artist's history, and of course provide the greatest breakdowns in current metalcore. Tune in to Get Tucked every Monday, out now through Sound Talent Media.